Well, hello, it's Clive to Carl here, and I'm very pleased to be welcoming today's guest, Matt Baudreau. I first heard Matt not that long ago speaking on the subject of education, and I thought he spoke so much sense. You know, just as a preamble about my own education, uh, I hated school from the first day of kindergarten to the last day. I left on, on my 16th birthday when my parents couldn't stop me. And as you know, has been so often said, I didn't let my schooling get in the way of my education. And um, you know, had I've had the nerve to burn it down, I probably would. I disliked it that much. So then, after I left school, I read a brilliant book by A.S. Neal called Summerfield, which I thought, why on earth didn't my parents send me to this school? What were they thinking? You know, my school involved. Uh, every morning uh, going to church and it was you know you had a choice you know you could go into the army cadets you know you had various choices my preparatory school was the one that Prince Charles went to so that that was interesting uh, but not enjoyable uh, I didn't find um, so uh, welcome Matt so please do tell us what you've been doing in this wonderful field of allowing children to be educated properly, like they want to be. I appreciate that and, and uh, very honored to be here. And I loved um, even just that brief background, you know, talking about how you hated it, talking about the difference between, and I think this is foundational for our conversation, talking about the difference between schooling and a real education. I differentiate between the two of those. Schooling is what you experience. Schooling is what I experienced as a young man. It is a system that is intentional upon producing a very specific outcome. It is not the same thing as education. Education is synonymous with continuing to just grow and to figure out who we are and to figure out our gifts and to go impact the world and to continue to learn. And that is something that is a lifelong endeavor. As long as we are paying attention and we are moving forward, we are continuously educating ourselves and in the process of being educated. Schooling is a very specific system. So I love the way that you frame that right there. And um, that is something that I had the opportunity to learn. You know, really, I love that you again, kind of said you found out early that you hated school, right? I remember... Clive, very early. I remember being the same age as you when you decided you hated school. I remember being that same age and sitting in a classroom and going, huh, well, this is a bit of a game now, isn't it? I remember looking around at the way they had divided us and going, oh, okay. The red group means this. The blue group means this. The, the yellow group means this. I'm in this group here, which means they think this. I figured that out very early. And so unlike you, I actually enjoyed school because I just enjoyed the social part of it. I enjoyed the girls. I enjoyed the sports, but I didn't learn anything. And I knew it was a game. So I learned how to play the game, right? So everything that I have done uh, career-wise has been uh, really kind of reiterated that fact for me. So I, I was at Stanford University for quite a long time. Uh, got to work in all different areas of the university there. 
One of those was admissions. Uh, and in that admissions department, I got to see early on uh, much of what the game was. It's a quote unquote higher education as well. Uh, I left there and became a public school teacher. Uh, so I was a public school teacher. I was a public school administrator. I, I naively left those because I saw some of the issues. I naively left those and went to a private school. Most private schools mimic the conveyor belt school model that we see in public schools. So I went there, was a private school teacher, private school administrator. All of those experiences were wildly valuable because I saw what I did not want from my own kids. And once I realized that uh, I had to make a decision on what to do with my own children, that's when I left to build the schools that I now get to build. Uh, Summerhill by A.S. Neal was a huge, that was a huge, I love that you've read that book. Um, it was it had a phenomenal impact on me and, and many schools uh, around the world and specifically some here in America called the Sudbury schools uh, very much take Neil's model and, and we do somewhat with the Acton academies as well. So now I get to uh, launch these amazing educational centers around the world. Uh, and we're in, I think there's about 300 entrepreneurs that I get the, the, uh, the honor of helping now uh, launch these. We're in 41 states here, US. I think we're in 26 countries right now. And we're building real centers for education. Uh, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And it's one of those things that once you see it and once you see it in action and you watch it and you find, you see all these stories and I look at conveyor belt schooling now and I understand that that's a religion for so many people and they don't understand how something could actually be different and they don't understand that it's actually disadvantageous whether you like it or not. Even if you do well in that system playing that game, it's disadvantageous to our young people. And now that I get to see so many other stories the other way, it's just my mission is, is trying to bring as many people as I can uh, over to the other side and, and help these young heroes. So it's a privilege to get to do what I get to do. And when, you know, I've got four children and yes, I really wanted to homeschool, but for me, it was way too daunting and I mm -hmm. didn't have Oof. enough, enough people around me who want, who sort of shared the vision of it. So initially mm -hmm. my first three went to, conventional schools and my last one to a Steiner school and of course the difference there was pretty pretty yes, interesting sir. luckily yes, they've sir. all survived really well despite their Good. schooling so it's so I'm quite pleased so one of the things that attracted me to what you were saying was that you've developed for want of a better word modules where people mm -hmm. who would like to be mm -hmm. part of a homeschool group realize that they're not alone they don't have to do it all yeah. themselves and there, there are models strategies and so on can, can we speak about that yes sir no I would love to I love that you uh you know you talked about that very real fear right that it's a daunting situation and what I tell parents is you know if we really if we want to talk about this logically if we want to think through this because you're not alone and, and feeling that fear and feeling that they, it's a, that's a daunting thing to, to educate from home. The irony is the majority of us grow up going to a conveyor belt school. That conveyor belt schooling system leaves us feeling inadequate to then educate our own children who we are raising. And so our fears 
And the irony here is that we then take our children and put them into that exact same system that left us feeling unable to educate our own children. And then the cycle continues, right? And that's the cycle I want to help people break from because I understand that it seems daunting and I understand that it seems like it's hard to find people with a shared vision um, more and more now, especially over these last few years, there are more people who are sharing that vision going, look, there are some very clear issues here. And I think there are other people that I can maybe partner with, right? So, um, you know, what we, are, what we are doing, aside from just building the physical campuses we are building, um, because that's helping a lot of people, but I have a lot of people who still come to me and go, hey, there are no physical campuses near me, or um, there aren't enough people around me to, to start one of these physical campuses. How do we do this from home? We've got modules that are together that are walking people through not just the mindset part, that is first, the mindset part of understanding, getting out of the religious attachment, the emotional attachment to conveyor belt schooling, that has to happen first. Because if I can walk you through things intellectually, but you're still so emotionally attached to that, it's not going to work. So I, we walk through that mindset first, and then it's the practicality. Uh, and we're actually putting together not just the modules of the practicality of the how to educate from home, and by the way, educate from home at a world-class level, not just the how-to on that, but also connecting you to a community Whereas I'll jump on and we'll have weekly, you know, webinars and do Q&A so that parents can in real time go, look, this is what we're facing right now. How can we do this? What would we do? Here's where we are here are that, you know, here's what we have access to. What would you do from here? Um, I will literally walk them through every week what I'm doing with my own children at home uh, because I'm very much not afraid of this effort. I'm very much excited about what we get to do all the time, right? And so I want to walk people through what I'm doing and lead by example um, there. And then we're providing uh, access to the materials that I use as well. So like when we develop projects, specific projects for our young people to promote real education, I'm doing this for my kids. And then I'm providing those same templates and kind of the day by days on what those projects look like to, to the parents too. And I'm not asking anybody to follow me lockstep. I'm asking them to uh, get rid of that religion around a, a one size fits all sort of thing. See that there is plenty of other, uh, there are plenty of other ways to do it. Partner with people who are in that similar mind frame. And then what they'll find is that they'll go, Ooh, okay, this really works for us. And that part's good, but maybe I don't need that. You know, I, I just want them to develop their own roadmap eventually. And so we're walking people through that. You know, I believe any good doctor works with a patient. Uh, and if they're truly a good doctor, they want to make that uh, patient not need them to be a healthy person, right? Eventually, as a parent, we want to parent our young heroes so that eventually, yes, there's still a relationship, but they don't need you. They're not 40 years old, depending upon you to provide for them. They're able to be self-reliant, right? And I think that's that's my role here too, is ultimately I want to provide this community and the ability so that ultimately parents can make their own roadmap for what makes sense for them and for their young heroes. So for many parents, they're going to be busy and right away they're going to say, well, I can't possibly make the time. I mean, it's always struck me that let's say somebody came to me and said, would you one day a month or one day every two months be willing with a couple of others to take on a bunch of kids of various ages 
all at once for one day. You've got, you got a month or two to plan it, and you're going to give them the best day, which is going to lead to them feel, feeling fulfilled and, you know, all those good, positive things. Now, I've, I've been asking this question of people recently, actually. You know, if somebody asked you, could, would you... And everybody so far who's been intelligent, I think, would be up to the job. So I'd love to do that. You know, I mean, right. so so somebody wants to get a group together and they come to you for help. Mm. What, what would you say are the criteria that are needed to make, uh, you know, this whole school idea work? That's and a, and, that's and really you good. don't really call it a school, do you? There's got to be a better word than school. Yeah, it's just a group, group education, collaborative education. I think you can call it anything you want to call it because... The way I look at it is I personally, I'm going to get an education just through our conversation here. There are so many things that you Clive have to bring to a conversation that I don't have. And I'm going to learn from you just by nature of you and I developing this relationship. And then when we get done, I've got other work that I'm putting together. I have people that I'm connecting with. I have other podcasts that I'm on. I'm going to continuously be learning the entire day. And by the way, it started out with me going outside and taking care of the animals on our farm and having to fix a structure and having, so I'm in this continual state of learning by doing, by living my life. And by the way, I bring my kids along with me when I'm doing so many of these things and they are, you know, learning along the way. And I tell parents, you know, the best way you're talking about criteria, the best way to prioritize your child's education is to first prioritize your own. If you are leading by example and you are present with them, you are by default going to inspire them to want to do that as well. If I'm at home, but all I'm doing while I'm at home is doing this, it doesn't matter if I'm a quote unquote present father. If I'm sitting here playing on the phone, I'm not being present. And what am I teaching them? I'm teaching them that this is the valuable thing. The valuable thing to do would be to get on the phone and to scroll. Whereas if I spend time in front of them having really good conversations with them, or I'm opening up a book and going, hmm, interesting, okay, let's talk about this. Here's what I read. Here's what that character had to decide between, oh my gosh, what would you do, right? You start to develop your own willingness to grow and you're bringing them along with you. So that what you're talking about there is, you know, this, this amazing, it's kind of a co-op idea um, you're right. If you can't start a full-blown campus, then having other people in your community, people that you respect and admire who are of similar mindset, gathering together where one person takes a day here and just really, you know, watches and, and, and hangs out and de de designs this amazing day, that's phenomenal. And then you switch over here, that's fantastic. But the goal should really believe, should really be your belief in these young people and believing that they are geniuses. If you start there and believing that they will be able to take on their own self-education, if you really start there, that's the criteria. And then as you partner with other people, what you do is you put opportunities in front of these young heroes for them to become personally responsible. You take opportunities to put in front of them where they get to become the author of their own life. And they do that sooner rather than later. If you will make those kind of things available, that's what we talk about in the modules or how to put the systems in place 
where they are then setting their own daily goals. They are, have things they are going after and they understand that those are their responsibilities that they take on before any other kinds of freedoms. When you do that and you set up that system, you don't need to make a ton of time available. You just need to make resource, just some books available, maybe access to the internet, some experiences where they can go out and, and go see something or do something or, or take on some sports or take on some other activities. All of those things pour into the education. More importantly, they know you stand behind them, believing they are the genius they are, and you are allowing them the opportunity to figure out who they are in the process of all of that. It sounds daunting. It sounds like there's so much, but the reality is simplicity and consistency in all these things uh, really are your friends. These don't have to be very complex things. And so that's what I get to work with parents you know, on is, okay, well, what is your specific situation? How do we simplify it for you as much as humanly possible? And how do we make it a consistent effort by you? We do that, man. The, the stories of these young heroes are, are unbelievable. Could you give a few examples of how people have set up uh, their systems and uh, you know, how it's worked, how long it took, you know, did it take money? Yeah. Did, you know, how many people, that kind of thing. That's a, yeah, that's a great idea. So, what I ask people to do is, is to first audit their actual time. Because people, you know, what you said was, how do we make the time to do this? The reality is you can get a world-class education in very small amount of time if you're very intentional about what you do. So I ask people to first audit their actual time. How much time do you have each day? When do you get up? When do you go to bed? And what happens in between that time? I go to work for, for X amount of hours. Okay, great. Those that's blocked off. If you're going to be leaving the house and you're not going to get home until then, great. What happens in those other hours? What are you actually, what are you actually doing? Are you intentional about your time there? And do that for every single day. Do that throughout the month. Do that to see, okay, where are the open hours that I am actually engaging with my young person? And if there aren't enough hours there, and I'm talking just an, if you have an hour a day of engaging with your young heroes, your children, you're going to be okay. But find what those hours are specifically, and we're going to start there. And then we're going to prioritize. Let's say you only have an hour a day. Well, if you only have an hour a day, then what I have parents do is they're going through age-appropriate books alongside their heroes. Right, so the heroes are reading and journaling on something and the parents are reading that same thing and maybe journaling and then they're having great conversations. And I help them guide that because that's where it's gonna start. You know, you look at some of the greats, Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and Abraham Lincoln and some of these you know, uh, uh, great scholars of the past, that is how they were educated. They read classics and they talked about the classics with mentors. That is the majority of what they did. And then they experienced life. They went out and they were an apprentice somewhere, right? And they worked somewhere and they had to provide value somewhere. That was the totality of their education. So I have parents start there. You're going to start by reading these classics. You're going to read them alongside your young heroes. You're going to have deep, meaningful conversations around that. I even provide templates around what those conversations can look like. You'll start there. Now, if you've got more hours in the day or more hours on a weekend, well, then we want to add in some projects or ex and experiences. What are the projects we can take on? Can they start a small business? Can they 
um, you know, learn to get, uh, depending on how old they are, learn to get uh, connected to a mentor and start doing some job shadows for free? Um, can they get involved in, in a sporting activity that is going to allow the mentors or the good coach and it's going to, like we start planning those things out backwards and they can do that solo. Now, if you have the benefit of having other people in that general community, well, then we can get two, three, four families together and go, okay, what does your schedule look like? Your schedule look like your schedule look like. And if you have more time here, maybe on those days, you have more time. Person number three, you're going to take everybody and here's a project for you to implement with three or four of them, where now all the young heroes get to collaborate together to try to solve a big problem, right? So it starts with what do you actually have available? What I want to do is eradicate all excuses. What timing do you actually have available to you? Who is in your corner? And then let's prioritize world-class education starts with reading, goes to experiences, right? It goes down that chopping block. And how do we start plugging those things into what you have available? I want to eradicate all excuses for people. Oh, I'm a single parent. That makes it harder. Impossible? Absolutely not. I don't have anybody near me that wants to do this in a, in a cooperative fashion. So we're just doing it solo. Does that make it harder? You bet. Does it make it impossible? Absolutely not. But it starts with a very specific audit of the time, and an understanding of the steps of world-class education and, and where their hero is. So let's say somebody has successfully spent whatever time they've had giving their children the best education they can possibly come up with themselves. Now they've got the rest of the day and, and the kid wants to do what the kid wants to do. Let's say that mum and dad don't actually want the kid to play on a on a screen for the next eight hours, or well, what, what you know, what what are your recommendations then? What do you do when you haven't got time, but you want to try and make sure your kids are, are learning in the right direction? Uh, it's, uh, that goes back to the. I love that question, and it goes back to you know really kind of your goal as parents. So if you've got all of this free time, count yourself as as lucky if you've got all of this time that the young hero. Um, has that he or she can engage with. It starts with understanding that responsibilities come before freedoms. And all of this goes back to being consistent as a parent. So we have an accompanying parenting course that goes into setting, uh, you know, household family rules. And by the way, that sounds super dictatorial. What it really is, is a set of values around here's who we are as a family. So we've got the Baudreau family rules in our house. It's 11 rules that we actually have mapped out and it's really a set of values and actions that we have mapped out. And we actually have it framed and we have it on our wall. The beauty of those rules are that my kids helped me come up with the rules. So it's not just dad is saying this was what has to be done and mom is saying this. They said, look, I think this is how we should behave as human beings as well. Great. So we're all there. We have a ceremony around that. We have a signing around that. Everybody is on board with those rules. What that means is that, yeah, of course, dad can say, hey, look, you know, rule number one is to be honest, especially with yourself. And dad can hold everybody accountable. That's great. But it also means they get to hold dad accountable. They get to say, hey, dad. Rule number six is no complaining, fix it. You kind of sound like you're complaining right now. What are you going to do to fix that? 
And I have the respect to go, you know what? That's right. You respectfully told me that I was going outside of the boundaries. We've determined as a unit that we want to exemplify. You know what? You're absolutely right. So when we've developed those kinds of relationships, it's much more of this strong team that is going together day by day, right? We are, my son yesterday was like, hey, dad, you just put your socks on the floor. We don't put our socks on the floor. And I went, you're right. So sorry about that. Yep. I'm going to grab those and I'm going to put those away. He was very respectful about how he did that. And he was spot on. That's something I've agreed to. So I need to lead by example. And what happens is anytime now I say, hey, you know, uh, Loudon, right now you're, you're outside exhibiting some of your freedoms. What do we have to, what do we have to have first before we have freedoms is what? Ah, responsibility. Okay. What's the responsibility you missed? I got stuff on my, in my room, on my floor. You're right, man. What do we need to do? I got to go pick that up. All right. And so now it's just a habit. It's who we are. We've got our habits as a family. So when it comes time to, hey, time is open, there's open time, there's free time. I want to have, I want them to have all the good choices in the world. As long as they've taken care of their responsibilities first, they've got all the good choices in the world. If I don't want screens to be a part of that, screens aren't a part of our daily, you know, daily choices. You've got good choices, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. And by the way, that includes being bored out of your mind if you want. It's okay for kids to be bored. I'm not going to give you choices, I, J, K, L, M, N, because those are bad choices. But you've got all of these choices to choose from. Here you go. Um, so again, it's a, it's a multifaceted, it's a very nuanced conversation, but it comes down to who you guys want to be as a family. Are the parents leading by example? Are you requiring responsibilities before freedoms? And are you encouraging that by first leading uh, in that same way, and then praising them inspirationally when they hit the mark, and then calmly correcting them when they miss the mark. You know, it's it's all of these it's all of these things. It's my favorite it's my favorite topic. It's my favorite conversation um, because we tend to think that oh, it's something we have to do to the kids versus setting up the environment to allow them to do what they would do naturally and setting up the environment so they have so many choices to make, but that they're all good choices. Uh, and that's the mindset shift of the, that the parents need to take. Are you aware, is there a sort of register of people who would like to mentor kids? Is there, is there you know, that you can, let's say, you know, somebody's retired, maybe they've got some time. Is there, is there something where you can sign up and that's, volunteer? Yeah. That's a really good question. And I'm not aware of anything necessarily like that. Um, you know, there are various organizations that mentor in various, you know, uh, what we do with Apogee Strong. I've got a, a whole cadre of, of men who mentor young men from around the world. And I've got, you know, men that are actors and professional athletes and CEOs and uh, you know, musicians and, and Navy SEALs. And, you know, I've got all of these guys that, that come in and mentor through the program I have. So I know there are various programs. Um, but I think something like you said of, of kind of this reg registry, so to speak, would be, a, um, would be a powerful thing. I don't know that that exists. I like the idea. Oh, good. Um, 
but maybe one of your bright kids will want to put it into action as a small business. Yes, sir. Uh, Yes, sir. Absolutely. It's an opportunity there. Would you be able to give some examples of, let's say, a couple of the education facilities that you've helped set up that are just outstanding and explain why they're working so well? Yeah, the when they really start to click, um, I'm going to try to give the best, I'm going to try to give an analogy and then I'll give some specifics. So, you know, schooling, if we go back to thinking about schooling, schooling is something we do to young people, whereas education is something that will just happen if we allow it to and get out of the way and provide the right environment. So schooling would be like trying to grow a flower by coming in and yelling at the flower, um, telling the flower exactly what it's going to do regardless of the circumstances. And then you've got a bunch of different flowers, you know, in the same garden area and you're telling them all the exact same things and, and you're trying to make them grow that way. Whereas education goes, okay, I've got all of these different flowers what do I need to do to the environment, to the soil, to the sun, for the water? What do I need to do so that these will just grow as they grow naturally, right? They're going to do that anyways. That's the best analogy I can give because if we get the environment right, the young people are going to grow naturally. So the schools that are doing this the best or the education centers that are doing this the best that that we've worked with, what they've done are they've put systems of personal responsibility in place. We've put systems that empower the young people to have a voice and to have choices and to be able to make changes. They put these things in place so that the adults can actually get out of the way. The ideal situation is that the systems are there, the adults are able to get completely out of the way, And the young people don't even notice that the adults are out of the way because the adults never mattered that much anyways, and they still run things extraordinarily well for themselves and for others. So there are systems in place uh, that include, you know, uh, systems around character. So, you know, our campuses will employ, much like I talked about the family rules we have at our house, just being consistent on those. These education centers will also employ, if they've got multiple young heroes working together, they'll have those heroes create a a contract or or a value system. Look, this is how we're going to interact with one another. And it gives them not only tangible understanding of this is how I'm going to, these are the promises I've made to, you know, Clive and my and and Lou and and my other uh, studio mates, I'm promising them this. So I need to 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 behave this way. That also gives them something tangible where Clive starts breaking it and we go, hey, Clive, look, you've agreed to this. If we're going to all work together, we're going to ask you to do this. So it gives them some very tangible things to point to for behavior and conflict resolution. We also put in place rules of engagement on a good conversation, which is an important thing. And I ask parents to do that at home too. So basic rules of engagement of what a good conversation looks like, you know, trying to be uh, concise, being respectful, uh, bringing evidence 
uh, into your point, genuinely listening to another point of view, asking clarifying questions. We bring those rules of engagement and make sure that the heroes understand what that means. And then topics of conversation become irrelevant. We can talk about the hardest things on the planet because they understand how to follow the rules of a good conversation. And so they're not, you know, they're not hindered by what adults are often hindered by, which is just emotion. And well, gosh, we disagree on this. So Clive, you're my enemy. And I, you know, it's, we get hindered by that and civil discourse goes away. So we make sure that we have the framework for civil discourse there along with the agreed upon character trait, character traits. So we have those things in place and then we teach them how to launch their individual goals so that they understand from an individual perspective, okay, I've got goals that I'm going to go after and hit for myself. And if I hit those, well, those are my responsibilities. And then the freedoms are also going to, to be mapped out. And of course, we have different time frames set up because we want them to have free play as well. We want them to get out and just interact and mingle without any kind of intervention, without any kind of correlating goals, like play matters for the young people. So that's that's programmed in as well. But when they are there on task, they're learning to set their individual goals. They're learning how to collaborate. They're learning how to communicate. And then we'll also present them with some, some challenges uh, that have you know, really fun, heroic narratives and story arcs to these challenges um, and almost kind of gamify these big you know, quests of, uh, of, you know, kind of these, these learning arcs and, and these collaborative opportunities for them. So we try to put all of these uh, pieces in place. And when we have those pieces in place, they will run the day-to-day. -day. I've had educators from universities come to my campuses and I go, hey guys, I'm going to pull the adult out of the room before the day even starts. I'm going to pull the adult out of the room. So I'll pull the adult out of the room and you'll have a studio of five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. Somebody will notice the clock. They'll go, everybody, it's nine o'clock. It's time to start the day. And you'll see a bunch of five, six, and seven-year-olds sit around in a circle and they'll stand up to look each other in the eye. They'll shake each other's hand and say, good morning. They'll sit down and they'll go, okay, I think today we're going to watch a, a, a TED talk and have a conversation and they'll push play and they'll watch, uh, they'll watch a five minute talk. And then one of the six-year-olds goes, okay, so what did we take away from that? Where do we want to go? Is it better to do this or is it better to do this? And they'll facilitate a Socratic conversation and go, okay, somebody else goes, ding, ding, ding. It's 9.15. We got to move on to the next part of our day. Let's all work together with our running buddies. Let's set our goals and our intentions for the day. And so Matt and Clive are working together. And I go, Clive, what are you working on today? And Clive says, today, I'm going to try to get this done, this done, and this done. And I go, that's awesome. Let me know how I can help. Here's what I'm going to do, Clive. Boom, boom, boom. And then you, you'll help me if I, if I you know, need, some, need some help on this. And we're going to work on this until we go. They run the day just like that. And I've seen five, six, and seven-year-olds studios run that with almost zero adult intervention the entire day. Never mind when they get to be eight, nine, 12, 15. And honestly, if they've grown up that way, they'll run their day more effectively than most adults without any adults present. It's phenomenal to watch, my friend. Have you got videos um, you know, fly on the wall sort of videos of 
typical goings on that people could check out? Yeah, we have some. Um, we definitely have some on. If people go down the uh, YouTube rabbit hole and put in Acton Academy, A C T O N, uh, you'll get videos from campuses around the world that are employing these these very things. Um, you'll have quite a bit. You know, if you go down the Google rabbit hole, you'll see. You know, we've been in Forbes and and Entrepreneur Magazine, and you you know we. At this point, um, it's it's almost kind of the secret that's that we've kind of held on to that's that's starting to to get out quite a bit. Um, but go down the YouTube rabbit hole with Acton Academy, and you'll see a lot of videos. I hope you got backups. They they took me down off YouTube first of all in two thousand and fourteen, and then again early this year. I know how it goes, sir. Yep, I've uh, I've had similar experiences. I understand. So, people want to learn more about the Acton Academy. Uh, is it Acton ActonAcademy.com? It's ActonAcademy.org. Right. Yep. Org, and they can go through and and um, you know see what it looks like as far as the day to day. See what it looks like to launch their own. Um, they're also more than welcome to reach out. Uh, to me directly and and uh, I'm glad to chat through whether they want to again build a regular uh, campus or whether they, they want to find a campus or if they want to just collaborate with some people in the neighborhood and, and build something similar just there in the neighborhood with the time they have um, that's what I get to spend my days doing is helping people do that. I was lucky enough some years back to spend a day with Ken Robinson and Certainly. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. What an incredible man. Just incredible. I think anybody listening to this who hasn't watched Ken Robinson's TED Talks needs needs to do that. Agreed. And I believe his first one is the most watched TED Talk of all time, I believe. Oh, wow. uh, and, and, and rightfully so. Uh, a genius of a man. I never had the pleasure uh, of of meeting him, I did exchange one small little email chain with him uh, at one point before he passed, um, but never had the pleasure. But he is uh, was a phenomenal human being and, and helped shift a lot of minds in education. So I agree; those those talks are phenomenal. I also highly recommend there is a talk from I want to say 2013 or 2014 by a man named Sugata Mitra, M I T R A. Uh, it's about the hole in the wall experiment. And I ask parents to listen to that if they are ever doubting the natural human propensity to learn and to get better. Uh, it is something that is, uh, it, it does a really good job of, of eradicating that, that thought that we've been culturally trained to believe that learning is something that has to be done to us rather than something we want to do naturally. So uh, that's a great place to start as well. You know, when I was at school, my whole time was spent hiding at the back. Yes, sir. And, you know, my biggest fear was somebody would ask me a question and that I wouldn't be able right. to answer it to their right. satisfaction and that I'd be embarrassed. Right. And... Then, so fast forward 20 odd years, somebody said to me, well, you're quite good at speaking, you should be a public speaker. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. So my whole experience had been of being way too shy in, in a public setting like a schoolroom to ever yes, yeah. open my mouth at all. And um, 
then suddenly, bizarrely, you know, I, I had these realizations. One is that I enjoyed learning because I didn't, you know, at one, one point I was so anti it. I suddenly realized I enjoyed it. And then I suddenly realized I did like speaking. It, it was, um, yeah. Yes, sir. And that's, that's, think about how many Clives there are that never get to find out who they are. They don't develop confidence because they've never actually been able to do something, had the failure encouraged so that they became resilient enough to start again, right? We don't start that way, Clive. When you, when you were first learning to walk and you picked yourself up onto a couch and tried to start to shuffle, you fell down. It didn't work the first time you did it. And what did your parents do? They cheered you on. They went, yay, because they knew that if you kept failing like that, ultimately there would be this victory and you would start walking on your own two feet. And it was inevitable that you were going to get there. But then, and that's the mindset we have as people. But then we go to school and we learn that failure is a bad thing and that there's a very specific thing everybody must do at a very specific time. And if you're not doing it, well, then you're failing and failing is to be discouraged. The parents stop applauding the failure and the child learns to go back into himself and go, okay, well, it's better not to risk anything than to fail. Failure is a bad thing. So they never get the opportunity to get the self-confidence that comes from falling down and getting back up and falling down and getting back up. They never get the self-awareness that you only gain through many, many experiences. What if early on that failure hadn't been trained out of your brain and then you were given the opportunity early to get in front of somebody and have conversations and if failure was okay, but you were had the opportunity Think about that because a very young Clive could have realized he was a solid communicator. He could have realized he was a natural born genius and you never would have had to wait until you were so far ahead and unlearn all of these things about yourself before you started, you know, embarking on the journey that you're on now. That's it. Those are the opportunities we want to provide for our young heroes early and often. They teach what to think, not how to think. I, but one of the one of the educators also that I really appreciated was uh, Edward de Bono. I don't know if you come across Edward de Bono. Yes, I, sir, I, a little bit. Yeah, so I read his book Lateral Thinking when I was mm -hmm. young, and then there was another one which I think was called Seven Hats, where mm -hmm. you know that there are in in a business there are at least seven roles and so with the, when you go through thinking a decision you put on the different hat of everybody involved you know the sales the the buyers you That's just right. you, you so you argue everybody's position you know your customer right. you know which was great i learned a lot from edward, edward de bono lateral thinking so good and um john taylor gatto is another gentleman that i recommend uh, as well if people don't know who he is g-a-t-t-o uh, is his last name and, and he does a very good job as coming coming uh, from a historical narrative from a historical perspective of why we have always done school the way we have done it uh, and the very very small amount of purpose that it served in a very short window of time uh, but it was very very intentional to serve that purpose in that time uh, but we have kept it that way, which is actually uh, now becoming, you know, a, a hindrance to many, even those that 
you know, I think when you were talking about your own, your own children earlier too, you said they are all doing quite well despite their conventional schooling. And, and that's what I tell people is, you know, people, ah, well, I went through conveyor belt school and I turned out fine, or my kids turn out, you know, they've done it and they're churning out fine. Uh, I always tell them fine sucks. I don't want fine. I don't want fine for my life. If somebody says, how's your relationship with your wife? And I go, oh, it's fine. That doesn't sound good. How do you like work? That's fine. Nobody believes that I like it. Nobody believes that I love it. Nobody believes that I'm thriving in it. So I don't want fine. Um, but I think it's exactly what you said. People can still turn out quote unquote fine in spite of conveyor belt schooling. It's almost never because of. And my question is always, man, what if you didn't have that hindrance there? Could life have looked, you know, even even different uh, at that time? And obviously, that's a question that can't be answered. But I think it's one worth pondering, uh, especially when we're talking about our goals for the future generations. Well, quite. I think most. Well, I mean, I felt that I was sent to a government indoctrination camp. Correct, basically. sir. You were. Um, you were. Can I, can I, can I, I tell would... you about my best day at school ever? I would love to hear it. Okay, so, um, but 15, and I, I, I was very entrepreneurial, I was trading things and making money, and I'd got somehow this broken radio-controlled car, and th this would have been about 1970, something like that, and they were really unusual in England at that point, I'd never seen one before, none of my friends had one, so, but it wouldn't work. And I, I didn't know where to start repairing it. So it was one of those schools where they had different societies and they had a society called the Radio Society. So I thought, well, I'll join the Radio Society because they'll help me fix my remote control car. So I turn up to the Radio Society meeting on a Wednesday afternoon at five o'clock or something. And it turns out that there are, there's only one other member of the Radio Society who's the head of school. So there's me, me at 15 and the head of school. And within moments, we're doing business. And I've bought the master key of the school off him for about 50 cents. And suddenly, I can get in everywhere. I can get into the headmaster's office. At one point, I stole my exam papers. And then I thought better of it. So I was going to sell them to everybody. I thought, it's just not going to work. Sure, I got them back. Yeah. <laughs> but what I was really interested in was things that went bang. So with the master key of the school, I could get into the chemistry department and I could basically steal everything that went bang. And I went through my bang period and then I, somebody told me about disassociative anesthetics. So the next thing I took was all the ether and um, found that you can leave your body uh, in various ways. And um, the wonderful thing was I never got caught. I love it. I it love was it. one of the best days at school, buying the master key. I love it. I love it. And I'll tell you what, it's a couple things. One, it shows your natural genius to be able to communicate that enough to the headmaster, to be able to develop that relationship, to be able to get that, and then know what your propensity was as far as, ooh, this is what I'm interested in, this is what I want to do, and showing that whether you would, you know, maybe you weren't 
you'd been taught to be afraid to speak in front of all these people, but you knew where to go get the materials and what to try and what to do so that you could experience something that other people would never experience. That speaks directly to the natural genius of, of humans when they're allowed to explore and figure out what that is. I love that story. I love that. I also got a math. I didn't do anything near as cool with it. I ended up getting a master key for my high school while I was in high school, but it was a, a thing that was passed down every year from a, a senior that would have it, would pass it down to, he would pick one freshman and that freshman would then carry it on for the next few years and would have the responsibility of passing that on to a, another freshman when he became a senior. And I, for some reason, was the freshman that the senior picked. Uh, and I had the master key to my high school all throughout my uh, you know, in the last three years of high school until I handed it off to another freshman, but I didn't do anything near as cool as, as you did with it. I love that. <laughs> That's I, was awesome. a, I was very naughty when I was young. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But you learned a lot in the process. Oh, I had a good time. I would have been very bored otherwise. But yes, sir. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been uh, really fascinating. And I'm going to study more about what you've been doing. So, you know, right now, People have got to start educating their children themselves. They've got to immediately disassociate with government. And further to that, you know, I mean, I don't know how much you know about it in the States about what's going on in Holland right now. You aware about the farmers in Holland? No, sir. Okay. So there's pretty much a total news blackout. Uh, in Holland, the Dutch government announced that 30% of all the farms are going to close. That's 30% of the privately owned farms for climate change so they're going to kill the government has said right you're going to kill 30 percent of your animals and so of course starvation is going to be the answer with that so right now the supermarkets as i understand it in amsterdam are pretty much empty of stuff because the farmers have blocked off everything with the tractors they've taken uh, those things that blow manure and have covered the government buildings with manure and this is now taking off all over Europe. There's a news blackout, so anybody who isn't following it wouldn't know. But there's massive, yeah. there's revolution going on. I mean, you probably know what's going on in Sri Lanka. They torched the president's house and stuff like that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, and you've got you've got farmland. I know in the U.S. being purchased up at, at extraordinary rates from the quote unquote elites. Right, who who are doing the same thing, talking about you know climate change and, and everybody's need to uh, you know go to these more sustainable Franken foods and and uh, you know there is this this entire push as well. And then how do we how do we combat this? And I you know plenty of our and just we took over a ranch uh, not five months ago uh, out here in the states, and we've already seen you know, our feed production go up and the and things that we need to uh, just sustain the ranch. You know, we're watching things go up. We're talking to other local farmers who have said, look, the price of, of beef and meat is just, it's going to go through the roof and it's going to continue to go through the roof, you know, in the fall. And, um, you know, there is a very concerted attack on, on the population in a lot of ways. Uh, I hate to hear about that. Uh, what's going on in Holland too, and it is, it's going, it's going on everywhere, and it's exactly what you said, it is, it is causing revolutions, rightfully so. It's got to be a good thing, because, I mean, you know, there's only one mistake being made in the world right now, in a sense, which is the farmers, the Canadian truckers, 
they're yeah. all basically, when it really narrows down to it, saying to government, please stop hurting us so much. Correct. Please don't hurt us anymore. Just hurt us a bit. Correct. Instead of realizing that the problem is government, that government right. globally, uh, we didn't ask for it. Not really. Uh, everybody's been conned. Uh, we're all slaves. And, yes. you know, we, your village, your town, where, you know, wherever you live, your street could run itself. You know, but people say, oh, what would happen if there's a hole in the, how do we mend the roads? Well, you go online, you look up for a road mender and you get the best yes. quote. You know, your five-year-olds could do that. You don't right. need the government's uh, employee whose uncle is going to get the job because they're a mason and you know all, yes, all that you know yes sir so and it's a big realization i think for people to make but we've got to realize that government has to has to end otherwise this nightmare won't that's exactly right and so i so you know clive i get the honor of of going on uh you know a number of shows and, and podcasts and things throughout throughout the week and i and i love getting to do what i get to do and speaking to people about um you know how to trying to empower them on on how to educate their own children take back control because what that and i never know what audience is what and what host is okay with what here's the main thing and it's what you're talking about government schooling conveyor belt schooling is very much meant to build the slaves that will acquiesce to the overall agenda of the government. Period, end of story. Like I said, it served this small little window of time during the industrial revolution where it helped some people get some jobs, but really what it's about is creating obedience and obedient slaves. It's not an accident that the system of government schooling is very much the same as the systems you see in prisons. And it's training people not to have a voice, not to have an original thought, to do exactly what you said and say, oh, please come to my rescue uh, because we need you to supply us and sustain us in every way. It's meant to strip sovereignty. And so taking back education for your own children is just one piece of that sovereignty. Exactly right. Taking back your ability to grow your own food and to raise your own food and to take back your health. That's sovereignty. Taking back your right to not have to, you know, figure out not how to not give the government, you know, half of your paycheck and, and getting out. All of those things are things we need to be thinking about to become sovereign individuals. I'm so glad that you are, are bringing awareness to that. I like you even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, brilliant. Thank you so much, Matt. And uh, if there's anything I can do health-wise, you know, feel free to ask. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you very much. I appreciate you being a voice for this too. And, and anything I can do to, to help you and to help promote and, and to help, um, I think we're very much on the same team, my friend. Brilliant. All the best. Thanks, Matt.